Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pado, and I'm joined once again by my partner, Jess. Um, and we're going to do a review of The Fellowship of the Ring. So we've started the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We've sat through all four hours of the film. And yeah, that's pretty much where we're at. So Jess, what were your overall thoughts of The Fellowship of the Ring? Um, I really enjoyed the movies. A uh, movie, sorry. I felt like movies because it went for so long. Um, I'm a little bit, not disappointed, but intrigued about how the movie kind of ended and what I'm expecting for the second movie. I didn't think it would end so abruptly, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and yeah, I understand that it is a saga, so there will be more movies to come and hopefully all my questions will be answered. Well, it was interesting watching you take your notes during the film because you could tell when something big had happened or something that you perceived to be quite large in the story because you'd get your notebook out and write it down. So it, it, it's interesting revisiting the film and just seeing someone else watch it for the first time as well because, um, yeah, it's been a while since I have watched them as well. So certain plot elements that happened, I'd sort of confused them with elements of the two towers, which we'll get into as well, but... Yeah, it was an interesting experience and, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun checking out this movie again, which looks fantastic on 4K as well. But we'll get into a bit of that when we go through everything. So we'll start the podcast off um, first with just um, some fun facts that we've each found out about the film. So, uh, Jess, if you want to start off with your fun facts that you found out about The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, so I had three that I found. Um, In the first... uh, 10 minutes of the movie, Gandalf comes into one of those hobbit holes and he smacks his head on a beam in um, in Bilbo's house and that actually wasn't part of the script. He actually smacked his head on top of the beam, so that was pretty funny. Um, I thought this one was pretty cool and I don't know where they did it, um, but during the film most of the members of the Fellowship took up surfing in New Zealand in their spare time, um, so maybe the beaches over in New Zealand are quite nice. Um, and Gimli... John Reese davies is actually the tallest of all the cast, so that's a little bit ironic since he's the smallest of the um, fellowship. They are very interesting. I did know about um, Gandalf's uh, or Ian McKellen um, smacking his head um, on set. There was a few unscripted moments there, and I knew that Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee as well had a big impact on the actual um, designs of certain creatures, especially Christopher Lee, who grew up as a huge fan um, of the of the films and he was the first cast in the films too which is interesting um i also had the fact about gimli being the tallest um of the cast i thought that was pretty funny as well um so um my facts um so i did have that one which i'll go for a new one at the end here um Eight of the nine fellowship members got a tattoo of the word um the word nine written on um them to commemorate the movie. The only one that didn't was actually John um, Reese davies who played Gimli. Uh, he got his stunt double to stand in for him, so he got the tattoo instead of the actor there. Um, the um, 111 candles on Bilbo's cake for his birthday actually caught, um, made the cake catch fire because there was too many candles on the cake, so that was pretty funny too. So apparently after they got the shot of it, the, it caught a light, so they had to put it out, which I thought was... Um, pretty funny. And the third fact I have uh, have here is that um, 
Uh, Peter Jackson, uh, the director and writer of the film, gave one uh, one each of the uh, rings used in the film, one to uh, Elijah Wood and one to Andy Serkis, um, uh, which was a gift uh, when the film finished shooting. However, they both thought they only had one the one ring. They didn't realise there was actually two in circulation. So Elijah Wood and Andy Serkis went through the rest of the filming thinking that they both had um, the one ring where they actually got one each, which is pretty funny. So... Uh, they're my three facts there. Um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, yeah, which I, I quite enjoy. I always like looking up movie trivia like that. Um, so we've decided to do a bit of a quiz here and ask each other three questions about the films. Um, and, yeah, we've got to try and uh, answer those questions there. And, yeah, we'll keep Italian by the end of the reviews. We'll see who comes out victorious. So, uh, Jess, what is your first question for me? I'll make sure you can't actually read my notebook here. Um, so my first question is, how much money did Lord of the Rings, a fellowship of the ring, make globally? Worldwide, I think, I, I know it didn't make a billion dollars worldwide because I'm pretty sure that Return of the King was the only one to make over a billion. Um, collectively, the franchise ranks at like $5.8 billion, and that includes the Hobbit film. So I'm going to say... But I reckon it will come in at around nine hundred and fifty million dollars. Wrong. <laughs> Eight hundred and eighty-eight million dollars. The first movie made globally. Um, so that's zero to you. The next one. Um, who was the first Hobbit to appear in the movie? I'm going to say. If it includes the prologue part there, I'm going to say it's Bilbo. I reckon Bilbo is the first we see. Yes, okay, you get that one. And the last one, um, which mountains did Gollum take the ring take the ring to? I have no idea. Misty Mountains. There you go, <laughs> there you go. All right, so I've come out with one out of three, so not fantastic there. Um, so my trivia question's here for you, Jess. Uh, what was Frodo doing when we were first introduced to him in the film? Um, was he in a tree? Was he sitting in a tree when Gandalf came past? In his You're close. He was leaning up against a tree oh, reading a book. Come on. <laughs> he was sitting in a tree. He's not sitting in a tree. He's sitting next to a tree. I'll give you a half a point for that because there's a bit of semantics there, but... He's not sitting in a tree. Um, question two. How old is Bilbo? Before or after his birthday? Well, when we're, what, what, what event are we celebrating when we're first really introduced to him? His 111th birthday. Correct. Yes. Okay. And what are Gandalf the Grey's last words before he perishes? You shall not pass. No, you're incorrect. <laughs> he says, he says, fly, you fools, before he drops off the... He's telling them uh, to get out of there, so he says, fly, you fools. Okay. Damn it. So you, you've ended up there with one and a half out of, out of three, so... That's still better than you. Yeah, so you're winning. Okay, so that brings that portion of the uh, the show to the close. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break down some important um, plot points um, whilst we're reviewing the film. So I'll give my intro to the film here, and, yeah, we'll go from there. So 
Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the King was released in 2001 and was directed and co-written by Peter Jackson and stars Elijah Wood as Frodo, Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf, Orlando Bloom as Legolas, Sean Bean as Bormir. Um, we have Sean Astin as Sam, Kate Blanchett as um, Gal- Galadriel. Um, we have Billy Boyd as Pippin. And we also have Ian Holm as Bilbo, Christopher Lee as Saruman, uh, Andy Serkis briefly appears as Gollum. Um, we have Dominic Monaghan as Merry, and of course Viggo Mortensen as Aragon. And the film follows um, a meek hobbit from the Shire and eight co- uh, companions who set out on a journey to destroy the powerful One Ring and save Middle Earth from the Dark Lord Sauron. So, initial thoughts here. So, we'll start off with the start of the film. So, we get the prologue here um, narrated there by um, Galadriel, played by Kate Blanchett, where uh, she describes the history of the ring, where it's come from, the, um, I, I guess, what where the ring is and its significance. So, that's where we start there. So, we get a bit of a prologue sequence, which I enjoy because I think it introduces you to Middle-earth so you understand the history without it being too exposition heavy. It still allows you to figure things out along the way. Um, well, this is was my first introduction, like you said, to Middle Earth. My first couple of points that I wrote down from this prologue thing was, one, the ring is very powerful, breaks or beats all other rings, um, that the enemy of Middle Earth was defeated, however he didn't destroy the ring. And um, my one question was, after 2,500 years of the ring sitting in the lake, how is it still around? I don't, I don't understand how Gollum found it after 2,500 years. Well, it's not a lake. It's a stream. So you, <laughs> uh, you want to say um, which you, the, the ring is extremely heavy and that was something that was actually one of the fun facts I was going to use there. So when they were actually filming the movie to make the ring as heavy as what it was, it was controlled by a magnet, so it fell unusually on the ground. So the idea is that the ring is very heavy, so where it sits is where it lies sort of thing. So um, I looked up after we watched the film, but um, on set to make the ring fall when they drop it. Um, so we have the, the scene in the prologue where the ring drops and it, all of, it looks all of a sudden it falls unusually like it was in a movie. But the, re- the way they did that was controlled with a magnet, so the ring was actually magnetic, so they pulled it down. So the idea is that it's made the, the materials that it's made with make it so heavy, so when it's fallen here, that's the place it lies until it's rediscovered. But after 2,500 years, the river hasn't moved? The sediment hasn't moved? I don't... <laughs> large, rocks I don't... Stay, <laughs> large rocks stay in the bottom of the river for a, quite a long time. Okay. Fair. My next question was creepy golem guy i thought he was dead but what the heck is that bilbo doing in his cage a cave i don't know why bilbo went to the cave to get the ring and how he got the ring so Um, you need to watch the hobbit because that's what the hobbit is about yeah and that's probably a big plot hole of why was he in golem's cave but i suppose i better wait for that one um fast forward a little bit um i thought but yeah, the Hobbit um, bag, bags end, bag end. Yep, that's pretty cool. Um, kind of answered some of my questions about when I actually went to um, Hobbiton and visited all the little Hobbit holes. Um, why Gandalf? I don't understand why everyone loves him. We didn't really get told why everyone loves Gandalf at the start when he's coming in and all the kids are jumping on his cart and, you know, having a great time. Um 
and why Frodo, why they're best friends. I don't – that was kind of – they just were magically best friends. So, so the idea is that um, with the events of The Hobbit as well, so when, when The Hobbit takes place, Bilbo is quite young there and Gandalf helped him through that adventure. So the, their lives are sort of intertwined there and I think because of Bilbo's relationship with Gandalf, it's sort of just, you know, um, it's passed on down to Frodo. Um, but Gan- uh, Gandalf – that uh, he he's helped out that town a lot, and I think they see him as a protector. Um, Hobbiton just exists in its own little, um, it's its own little town, it's its own little village, very disjointed, uh, I suppose, to the rest of Middle Earth. So no threats really come to the town, and I think that is due to Gandalf. So it's just his over oversight of them, um, and I guess as a protector, because the whole idea is that hobbits don't really go out of their way to seek adventure. Mm. They're very set in their ways, and they're very happy living their lives as just farmers and working in the small town there. And um, I guess the elves and the um, other facets and kingdoms of Middle-earth are the ones who normally are fighting wars and seeking out that adventure. It doesn't really come there from um, the hobbits. The hobbits just exist. They're very, they're very happy just doing their thing. Mm. Okay. Well, um, fast forward a little bit to after um, Bilbo's birthday. I got real Goblet of Fire vibes when um, Gandalf and Bilbo were talking when he touches the ring and he goes a little bit obsessed and then Gandalf's like gets real mad at him. Um, so this kind of gave me an indication that the ring kind of po- not possesses people but it uh, – um, what's the word? It kind of – takes over them and that's all they want is to have the ring. So that kind of gave me the impression that this ring is very powerful and from what I could see that Gandalf kind of wanted to get it off Bilbo. Um, I was getting, yeah, real Horcroxy vibes when everyone was going like when you touch the ring and it, you know, took you to another place. So I think Harry Potter might have got that off the Lord of the Rings but um, that's what I kind of compare it to. And... <laughs> I did write down that Gandalf would have some serious lung cancer the amount of times he's smoking a pipe. So <laughs> he needs to look after his health a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, did you want to move on to Frodo getting the? Yeah, I guess um, thematically the earlier elements is just seeing the burden that the rings had on Bilbo um, and I guess the, that he's had to live with that since the events of The Hobbit. Um it's very it's very interesting, and I think the reason I wanted to watch The Lord of the Rings first before we go and venture into the Hobbit films mainly is because you just see the different levels of craft and where Peter Jackson was in his career, and I suppose the developments of effects and that sort of thing too. But um, I, I guess um, having the, the story exists fine on its own, you know, um, previous adventures can exist prior. It's like the whole Star Wars effect as well. You have the original trilogy but then George Lucas has gone back and made that prequel trilogy where it fills in those little gaps that you might have in the story, but your mind can populate what happens. You don't necessarily need to to see what happens. Um, A a lot of that is handled just by, and I guess in the case of The Lord of the Rings, we do have The Hobbit, but The Hobbit was an afterthought um, with J.R.R. Tolkien writing that book more so for his children, so they had something to read as well. Um, But... I really liked the way that the film was able to, um, yeah, j- just set everything up so we understand our characters. Um, I-, I think the level, uh, the level of depth that's really established early on is quite impressive. It's almost like you're 
in the fifth season of a TV show by the time we finish with these characters at the end of the film. It, it goes down to just strong writing, strong direction, but just a strong understanding of character, which I really appreciate. Um, and I, I love the way that those characters were established at the start of the film, especially um, Bilbo, his relationship with Frodo, and then just how how the Fellowship come to be, their difference of opinion, their different personalities. It's just really, really interesting. So... I really like just how all of that's established early on. And I think, yeah, we we really do get to see the inner workings of this society and how these people um, all really interact with one another, which I really enjoyed. But, yes, yeah, so that leads on to um, Frodo learning, I guess, about the ring as he takes on the ring to this quest. Um, he, he's now tasked with trying to get, well, at least getting the... Um, the, the ring to Rivendale. That's his initial quest. He just needs to get it to there. It's not until they reach Rivendale that they decide that they need to yeah, do something else there. But, yeah, like you said, we'll talk about a bit about Frodo and how he happens upon the ring and everything. So I guess the notes I took down there is just Frodo learning exactly what the ring is and its power. Um, he, he sort of figures out quite early on in a sequence in a bar um, before they, um, or just as they meet Aragorn, um, and Frodo accidentally, the ring falls on his finger, and he, he understands then what the power of the ring is. I don't know if it accidentally falls on his finger. <laughs> it just kind of... It does. <laughs> he falls on the ground, and he puts his hand up to catch oh, it, and it falls on his slow finger. slow-mo falls onto his finger, yes. Okay. Um, I just want to draw attention to Sam, his lovely sidekick that goes along with him. Sam's probably my favourite hobbit, so... He's put his hand up to go with Frodo, which is nice. Sam, yeah, Sam's pretty adorable. You like his relationship and his just commitment to Frodo. Um, he's made a promise to Gandalf to keep him safe, so that's his task. That's what he wants to do. He can't leave his side. He's made that promise to Gandalf, so that's what he's going to do. And that level of loyalty is quite impressive too. And I, I love just the, the, the four hobbits that are on the journey. You just love them all together. Merry and Pippin are hilarious together and they add that comic relief, which is quite funny. Adds that bit of levity in like, serious sequences, but sometimes you need a bit of that. Um, and I, I just enjoy all four of them. I, I guess, um, which we'll get into, you have a few problems with Frodo just being kind of useless, <laughs> even though that's, yeah, it's the point of his character is that he needs this assistance along the way because he is new to this. They all are. And I guess... Um, Sam's looking for purpose as well. Sam wants something to do. Sam, and this is what he wants to do. He wants to help Frodo. So I love that. I love, yeah, the sequence when, um, I think the way that it's choreographed, um, the sequences when the ring um, is put on as well, it's quite visually striking. Um, and I noticed on 4K they've even rendered it a bit more so it does look really clean. I love the sequences where, yeah, the rings on and everything goes all smoky and blurry in the background and it's it's another realm essentially and it's just so it's so visually striking and i think it still stands out to this day it looks very impressive um and i love the introdu uh, introduction there of aragorn's character he's a ranger we see him in the corner of the bar with a hood on and it's it's perfect it's aragorn's my favorite character so seeing his introduction i always love that sequence just seeing him in the corner of the bar monitoring the hobbits and realizing that there's a threat coming as well Um, well, then once Sam and Frodo kind of get a little bit on with their quest, the thought that crossed my mind was where is Gandalf and why didn't he go with him? Gandalf just kind of rode off on a horse at um, Bag's End and then just let them go by themselves. 
So I was confused as to why Gandalf did that, but then I suppose uh, we see the bit where he enters the um, castle with the white-haired man with the funny eyebrows. What's his name? Sar- Saruman. Saruman. <laughs> so, yeah, well, Gandalf's off doing his own thing there. Gandalf's looking to, for allies because they see this looming threat of a war and Gandalf's had that vision and he, he doesn't feel right about it. So he's gone to Saruman to look for help, but... Um, Saruman's already fallen victim to Sauron and has joined forces there. So Sauron, uh, Saruman's got his own plan to build up a, an orc army there to take on Gandalf and, yeah, to take on any threats there so that the ring um, goes to its rightful heir, or as they think, um, which is, of course, Sauron. So it's very interesting to see that... Um, that dynamic as well. When when you first uh, Sar- Saruman and uh, Gandalf first meet up there, you really have that. Um, I guess that old camaraderie that they were friends, and you can sort of feel that. Like, and that's another part of the um, Lord of the Rings. I love. I just love that these characters in this world feel so lived in. Um, the set design of where Saruman's, uh, I guess, where, where he is, is so stark and really really clean and I love the look of that set especially when he's sitting on his throne and it looks like black granite just everywhere it's just such a striking visual image there too but Saruman's portrayal there of um, Gandalf is pretty iconic Um, and I I actually I didn't think it happened as early on as what it did but it does happen quite early on that's probably the first real actiony sequence we get is the two of them duking it out there with a a classic old man brawl Um, they they yeah, they definitely had stunt double stand in for them there. It's pretty uh, obvious. Um, but Christopher Lee was in his eighties at that point, so um, yeah, it's it's completely fair. But I, I really love um, Christopher Lee's portrayal there as Saruman too. But yeah, that whole sequence, I guess, having the characters split off into their own little quests um, to get them to a certain point as well, which I, I appreciate. I love when a good side quest sort of plays into the main story. Um, I guess uh, there's Gandalf is saved by the birds, which will come into the films a little later. Um, but it, it is a bit of a deus ex machina, the idea of a um, character getting out of a sticky situation because of an easy plot convenience. But I think because of, I guess he is a powerful wizard, so you're happy to sort of let little things like that slide occasionally. A powerful wizard that doesn't seem to use his staff very often at all that's one of my gripes is that he is very he obviously is very powerful but you only really saw him use his staff like three times there's so many opportunities that he could have used it and that's what how often does Dumbledore <laughs> use his power all the into time. Harry Potter all the time uh, he, o- he uses Sherbet Lemon to open his door like it's yeah but uh, <laughs> when Har- when a 12 year old boy is out fighting Voldemort in the castle what was Dumbledore doing at that point writing the curriculum of Hogwarts no. <laughs> that's <laughs> you can make that argument with everything I feel that like Dumbledore's this great powerful wizard but he couldn't work out that Voldemort was a teacher under his faculty um but I think with Gandalf um yeah he doesn't use his power as much as probably what he can but I magic is a bit scarce in the kingdom and it does use uh, I, I guess You'll see a bit later on the the effect that magic use can have as well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there are certain circumstances where he could use his wizardy powers, but he mm. chooses not to. My notes clearly were: G is dead? Question mark. If only he had just used magic. Yes, <laughs> but you don't understand that the demon that he fights off there took a lot out of him. It was a very powerful ancient demon. It's not like it's a 
an easy fix there. So he's sacrificed, and that's very important to the story. Um, and it's probably the most like it, it's up there with the most iconic moments in the franchise. Um, is the "You Shall Not Pass." him taking down the demon, which to this day, I was shocked at how good those special effects look. I look at that compared to the Avengers films and I reckon that looks 10 times better. Mm. I was very surprised with how well that holds up still, um, that whole sequence. Even when the um, when the Fellowship are fighting the orcs in the, um, I can't remember what the dwarven area that they enter there in that mountain is, I can't remember what it's called. But um, when they do enter that and they're fighting um, those orcs, the army of orcs, you've got the giant orcs. It all looks fantastic. And I said to Jess, who's a huge Harry Potter fan, about the you compare the troll in Harry Potter, which came out the exact same year, by the same studio, Warner Brothers, compare the CGI there to what the CGI was in um, in the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the King, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, which came out in the same year. It's pretty interesting to see that. But... Uh, um, it, to note that uh, Industrial Light and Magic actually did the special effects for uh, the Lord of the Rings franchise, which are, of course, behind Star Wars, um, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. They put some of the best visual effects on screen in, in history, and I think, um, yeah, the, the special effects are near flawless. There are a few little moments that you notice that don't hold up as well. Uh, the sequence when, they're, um, when the demon knights are trying to attack, um, when they're entering Rivendale there, um, and yeah, the, the water comes down. I noticed that the, the effects of the water didn't look fantastic, but that was probably the worst effect I saw in the film. Everything else looks pretty top-notch. Speaking of special effects, are the horses real that they ride on? Yeah, the horses are real. The, um, Ian McKellen, I did know, learnt how to ride a horse for... Uh, he either already knew how to ride a horse, but he definitely rode, mm. and um, so does Viggo Mortensen. I knew that they definitely knew how to ride horses. Yeah, G's quite a good... He's he's pretty pretty good. Um, there are certain sequences, the big CGI shots um, that they use in the film. So when you've got the battle sequences and you've got armies fighting each other, they use those duplicate effects. So it will be like the same ten soldiers that they've just duplicated like a hundred times, mm. just to make the it look very populated when it wouldn't be that many people. Um, sequences with the orcs are very interesting. So. When they do the special effects, what they used to do was move the orcs so they would spend hours and hours and tens of hours doing makeup on the people who were playing the orcs. And they would put those orcs in the foreground of the shots and they would use CGA to populate the, uh, populate the orcs in the back of the shots. So the, that's why it looks so good because they're real people in makeup at the front, but then the ones at the back are more... Um, or, or they would just paint people and just chuck some fake teeth in them. They wouldn't spend as much time on the makeup for the, some of the other people in the background shots. But um, it, the makeup is really, really impressive. Um, and that blend of CGI and practical effects is just really seamless too. A lot of the shots um, that they do um, where they superimpose the hobbits with Gandalf, like where you've got the obvious height difference, it was just as easy as putting Gandalf in the foreground of the shot and moving the hobbits to the background mm-hmm. and then removing the screen the in CGI, moving the distance between them so they look like they're on the same level. So it's really simple stuff, but it's just really effective and it definitely looks yeah, seamless. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty fantastic to watch. Um, so we'll talk a bit about um, their visit to Rivendale. So um, that's, I guess, where they decide what's going to happen with the quest. Um and we have a really good sequence um, where, I guess, Frodo is injured. He's been stabbed. Um, he's been stabbed, and he's not in a good way. 
Um, and they arrive in Rivendale to treat Frodo's wound. Um, Jess thinks that Frodo should stop getting stabbed. Um, but, yeah, the, the idea, of course, is that Frodo's not used to this, so he doesn't really know how to, he doesn't know how to fight, um, so he's kind of useless in those situations, but that's the point, that he doesn't know, and he, that's why he's on this journey, is to learn. He's so frustrating. I mean, it just every single time he's hurt or injured or there's something about Frodo. Um, talking about the elves just when they get to Rivendale, I think there's a little bit of romance between um, the elvish lady. Arwen. Yes, and Aaron. Aragon. Aragon. I keep thinking Aragon. Yes, there must be something there. They had a little bit of a moment, so they I'm do. keen to see what happens there. They do have a bit of a, a budding romance there, but um, it, it's it's also a sweet part that's developed further in the um, other films, and it was a, a fan favourite among a lot of people, so that's why they create in the Hobbit movies, which you'll see, they create a bit of a romance between um, one of the dwarves and um, and one of the elves in that film. Um, and it's so forced and you can tell they're trying to do something like the um, the the love saga in the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Arwen and Aragorn but it's very um yeah it, it's very cute though I, I like that because it gives Aragorn something to fight for as well so his lineage of course coming from uh, you know royal blood um, and a kingdom that's no longer exists so um, it, it's I- an interesting facet of the story and I like the conversation between Elrond played by Hugo Weaving um, which was going to be one of my trivia questions do you remember how old he is? 3,000 years old yeah you got it um, but the conversation between Elrond and um, and Gandalf there because Elrond of course was there when um, the ring wasn't destroyed initially um, where the ring was um, yeah, selfishly taken after he he witnessed um, the fall of Sauron on the battlefield, which is pretty iconic. And then they go to take the ring to Mount Doom and they don't get rid of it there and destroy it. So uh, Elrond knows the stakes as well, which I also like because I guess putting in perspective what the stakes are, the stakes are that, yeah, they need to destroy this ring. Otherwise, if Sauron gets his filthy hands on it, then it's the end of the world. So... Filthy hands. He looks quite immaculate, actually. There's not a hair out of place on That's his head. That's Saruman. Oh. <laughs> Wrong one. Did you even watch these <laughs> movies? I thought you were talking about the long-haired white guy. <laughs> oh. um, well, while we're in Riven- Rivendale, my question is, she is back. How? And like you said, the birds come into play, but that was one of my questions that I did write down was how did he actually get out of there? Um, and Bilbo, he's back too, but I think he's probably on his last legs. Um, so Bilbo's left um, Bag End there and he's ended up in, because um, you'll see when you watch the Hobbit movies that he did form quite a relationship with um, the elves in Rivendell. Um, and the idea there is that he wanted to go out on one last quest and he just wanted to be rid of the burden of the ring. Um, and he says that and that's where he's going, but you can see just the, the makeup that's used on Serian Holm. He's obviously, um, aged since he's left Bag End then. So he knows that once he leaves Bag End, then he's getting older. Um, and yeah, it was nice to see Bilbo show up again. Um, I think for Frodo's sake as well, just so that Frodo has, I guess that, that push to keep going. Um, and I enjoyed that as well. And then, I think it also pushes Frodo too because Frodo sees what the ring does to 
what it's done to Bilbo. Frodo sees the effect where Bilbo, as soon as the ring, Bilbo looks fine, and then as soon as the ring's back in play, it just plays on his mind and that obsession um, or possession, as you called it, of the ring. You can really see that effect, uh, not just visually, but just even just their relationship. And I think that's why Frodo knows what needs to be done. So that's the push to sort of he knows the stakes now and he needs to get there. Um, and I think, I guess, how brave he is there to really take it on too as just a little little hobbit um, who, yeah, wants to take on, on this huge task and take the ring to Mount Doom. It's, it's quite, quite interesting, and I, I, I like that dynamic as well. So um, after we leave Rivendell there, we've got our fellowship. They're all gifted um, with... They're each given a gift there um, to help them along their journey. Um, which I find um, interesting. We see just everyone gets something, which um, most of it does come into play during the franchise. So sort of need to keep an eye on what they were all given, um, which I also like too. There's a bit of comedy there but with Gimli, um, which Jess thinks is evil. I just can't trust him. He just, there is something up with that man. And I don't know, I reckon in the second or the third one, we're going to see him, he's going to double cross. Yeah, um, well, you could put that in your predictions. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like um, the dynamic between each of the Fellowship as well. So we have um, we see Bormir, um, who's come into play as well. And Bormir is very um, – you, you see his obsession with the ring as well. He's obsessed with power, um, and he is a heroic character, but it, he just can't overcome his urges there. Um, they sort of do come into play with what um, – I guess, again, the power of the ring, but what he wants to do with it. Um, so we see that obsession with Bormir there, which I, I really did like that. Um, and Bormir's character, it's its only a brief outing we have with him, but I you can't help but love him. Um, and Sean Bean is fantastic, as he always is. And he dies once again. Yeah, but you could kind of see that from... He was tempted from the start. You kind of saw that there was always going to be an ending to him because he just had this obsession that was going to become a part of him but yeah he was pretty valiant at the end and got stabbed he's arrowed his sacrifice is pretty heroic and it's probably one of the more iconic deaths in cinema history it's always been up there for me of just like um yeah just seeing him sacrifice himself he of course um confronts frodo and he obviously feels guilty about it and he talks to aragon but then the orcs attack and by that stage bormir's sacrificed himself um he dies a heroic death, and um, the "My Captain, My King" um, line is pretty iconic as well. With um, uh, with what he says to Aragorn in his last words, it's pretty heroic and pretty sweet as well. Um, and I guess it sort of just plays into Aragorn's growth and development too. Um, Aragorn doesn't start out as a bad person at all, but you know that he's a ranger and he's got a bit of a reputation as well. So. Um, seeing his character go along is going to be um, quite valuable too, and I think you'll get a lot out of that too. Um, the other thing was that Frodo dead again. Well, I assumed he was dead again when he got stabbed um, just before they before Gandalf dies. Um, Frodo got stabbed again. But, but um, he was gifted with um, some knight's armour there, which was pretty... Um, pretty good. I, you assume that he gets it from the elves, I assume anyway. Um, a fun fact about that, which was another fun fact I found for this film. So uh, when they were filming, um, there was actually 12 million links used um, among all the armour that was created for the first film, which is pretty cool. 
They can have armor, but none of them wear shoes. Where was the budget for all the shoes? Mate, no, no one wears shoes in this movie. There's no cobbler in. <laughs> there's no cobbler in Bag End. That's an occupation. Gandalf needs doesn't to be. wear shoes either. <laughs> Gandalf has shoes. Wear he wears shoes. he wears bags none on his. He wears shoes. mesh bags on his feet. Uh, the hobbits shoes. don't have shoes, but they've got large hairy feet, which that you've seen. Um, but I guess we've already talked about Gandalf's death. death there. What we haven't talked about is that um, Gollum is following um, the Fellowship, so he'll come into play in um, the Two Towers, which we'll discuss a bit further. Um, but we we know who Gollum is. They've talked about Gollum, his obsession with the ring. Um, uh, Bormir and Aragorn talk about they, they know Gollum's following them. Um, Gollum, of course, gave up. Um, Bilbo's whereabouts when he was being tortured. So he tried to keep it a secret but couldn't. And when he was being tortured, he spilt out the word Baggins, with Baggins being Bilbo's last name, um, and Precious. So he knew that Bilbo had the ring, um, which you find out in The Hobbit how he gets the ring off Gollum. Um, but, yeah, it's very... Um, uh, I guess you'll you'll learn a bit more about Gollum and his um, obsession in The Two Towers, um, which is... One of the better moments in the franchise as well, um, which we'll talk about, of course, when we review the two towers there. But um, it is a, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting little plot device. We don't know exactly a lot about Gollum yet. He hasn't said two words, but um, well, he, I guess yes, he, he has. has. He <laughs> said Bill, he said baggage and precious. He also heady breeds a lot when he's floating down the river. He does. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get a bit more out of him in the next film. Um, but yeah, we know that he's following and that the Fellowship is aware of it. Um, I guess Frodo comes across as well where he sort of regrets a bit of the, coming across the ring. Um, we, we, um, see that, yeah, you, you just see that he's feeling a bit of guilt about bringing everyone along. Um, and he really wants to just take it on his own. He feels like it's his own journey. Um, now that, um, Gandalf has died, um, he just thinks that he needs to do it. Um, but Sam won't let that happen by himself. So Sam is accompanying him to Mordor. Um, we know that Pippin and Merry have been taken, um, and yeah, and it, it just ends. And then it, it, it ends. Um, just ends. But Jess, like we've discussed <laughs> off podcast, um, so Jess has a problem with it just ending. Describe that a little there, Jess. I just have an issue with it, uh, like they have that big fight right at the end. Boromir dies. Frodo runs off with Sam. Sam nearly dies, which I nearly shed a tear at, but you know, Frodo saves him. My problem is is that the sub – well, I suppose it's the main plot, but I feel like in a saga the main thing gets tied up and then there's another little tie that like the bow gets tied but someone comes past and pulls the ribbon. So my theory was that they would make it to Mount Doom or um, where Sauron is. Mordor. Mordor, sorry. They make it to Mordor. They get the ring back, but then I assumed that someone else was going to take it or that they wouldn't destroy it properly. But I was – I was actually on the couch, I had my little blanket, I had my little notebook ready to write things down and the movie just finished and I was like, wow, okay, I wasn't expecting that. So that's my thing. To put it into example, sorry to go back to Harry Potter again, in the first Harry Potter, a a children's novel, (laughs) Harry kills Voldemort by putting his hands on his face. We assume Voldemort's dead but you do see spirit fly off. So you think, okay, the movie's tied up and finished but there is a second one because he comes back. That's what I was expecting with the Lord of the Rings. So that's I, where I, my... Uh, my... My counter to that is that 
the Lord of the Rings was always envisioned as a trilogy. So J.R.R. Tolkien had this trilogy. So the difference between a saga and a trilogy is that a trilogy is meant to carry on. It's the same as a cliffhanger at the end of a TV show. You're left there to where the Harry Potter was a saga, yes, but I don't think that... J.K. Rowling with those first couple of Harry Potters definitely had the idea that she didn't know how successful it was going to be. So she had a story and she wrapped up that story because she didn't know she could end it there if the book didn't sell. And it, it's fine. It, it, it exists as its own thing. Mm-hmm. But The Lord of the Rings was envisioned as a trilogy. So the idea is it's the same with the Star Wars trilogy. Each of those films carries on to the next one. And that's the thing about a trilogy. That's the difference there mm-hmm. between... It's like... I guess if these weren't called Fellowship of the Ring, the 2000 Return of the King, they would be called Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. The idea of having parts of something, the hangover excluded, because I think that you might go there. The idea of having a Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3 is that it's Part 1 of a story, Part 2 of a story, and Part 3 of a story, and that's the idea behind this trilogy. Yeah, okay. I understand that. I was just a bit shocked that's how it ended, but... I suppose breaking it up, we didn't watch it all four hours in in a row. We broke it up. So that last little bit was only about 30 minutes that we did. So maybe that's why I was like, oh, I was expecting more. Um, but, yeah, so I'm interested as to what's going to come in the next movie. Um, not sure how long the runtime will be, if we're going to split it up or do it all in one hit. So The Two Towers is a little longer than um, what Fellowship of the Ring is, but Return of the King, as we all know, goes for... Nearly four and a half hours. Oh, my God. And um, The Return of the King also has the iconic... Um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, I think it's five different endings. I'm going to Google it while we're here. Um, but it, it, of course, has the different endings, which we'll have to watch it with. Just watch the different endings so you know the different endings. That's ridiculous. Why would it have five different endings? Because it's just got... It's the different endings that they filmed, so different wrap-ups to the story. It, it is... It, 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 sounds di- it sounds different, but just trust me, there's, it is very very satisfying seeing the endings, um, and it's pretty iconic. But I'll, I'll have a look of the King endings. So how many endings does Return of the King have? It does have five. Five separate endings. So... Um, the idea is that it has five different endings to wrap up five different character, like five different stories, essentially. So that's the idea. It's just that just seems crazy, but anyway, I'm in for the ride now. I I look forward to it. So I, I guess we'll talk um, a, a bit more. Cri- um, I will speak a bit critically here, and Jess, feel free to chime in if you agree or disagree. Um, I guess if I had any complaints about the film, one thing I did notice was the dated use of the. Um, it's the way that they film the slow motion shots of the orcs running and things like that. It's something re-watching it, and I, I look at it now and just think that is such an early 2000s thing, and I feel like if they made the film again, it would either look better or it would, yeah, it, it would just feel a little different. It feels very, I, I guess it's in the, the post-Matrix phase of Hollywood. When the Matrix came out, Hollywood really changed the way that it did things stylistically because everything was done in slow motion and things like that. It become quite popular um, in the in the early 2000s there. And I think um, some of the slow motion shots don't hold up very well and they feel quite dated. So that was something I don't like. Um, do you have any comments on that? I didn't really notice that, but, yeah, I agree with you. There you go. Well, I guess <laughs> it's that's, such an early 2000 thing. That That's my, my critical mind with it and that's where I go. Um, I think the score is fantastic. The score was nominated for an Oscar all three times. I, it won finally in uh, Return of the King. 
Um, but just the use of score, it's so powerful. Gandalf's death um, is iconic um, and it's elevated so much by the music. Um, and it's such an iconic piece of cinema. Like you listen to some of the tracks, the Lord of the Rings theme, just everything. It's so powerful and so well done. Um, where I will say, um, I guess to counter with your uh, John Williams design of the music for Harry Potter was also iconic, but it was a lot more whimsical. Where I, if I had to describe Lord of the Rings, I would say it's epic. Uh, you just have this real epic feel. Everything feels so grand and just so beautiful. Mm. I love the location. I think the locations are absolutely gorgeous. Um, just these beautiful sweeping shots. They have so many... Um, it wouldn't even be drone footage at the time. They would have used helicopters to shoot a lot of the footage. But you have these beautiful shots of the fellowship walking through the snow or walking up the river. And it just it's gorgeous. Just such a beautiful landscape mm. there in New Zealand. And just the way that they filmed it all. It's just really, really spectacular. Um and I, I think Peter Jackson's direction, it just everything is so grand. And the argument's always made with Peter Jackson that he's too excessive um, in a lot of what he does. And I guess the Hobbits are an exercise in um, in uh, just how excessive those films are. They're just so... There's a lot going on and a lot of additional things. Um, he has a trouble uh, editing some of his stuff down, but I think in a lot of the rings, the more the better. I think that... Um, there's not a sequence in the film I think that could be cut out. I feel like every sequence in this extended cut really does add value to the film. Mm. I just think that, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit too long, but I can understand there wasn't a part that I was like, uh, yeah, no, nah, shouldn't be in it. But I think it all added value. The one thing I want to make comment about the scenery is, yeah, such, such a beautiful country New Zealand is and it really showcases the country and makes you kind of want to get on a plane and go straight over there. It's just so nice. And that's pretty impressive that the whole movie is not sets. It's all just location and, and landscape. So, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it, it is quite spectacular. Uh, I love that there, there of course, are some um, what they call matte paintings, um, which they use to populate um, some of the bigger backgrounds. And, of course, when they get to Mordor, Mordor doesn't exist in New Zealand, but... Um, just some of the, the visuals there, they're very striking and um, I, I just love the use of the landscape. And Peter Jackson, um, you know, he's gone back there a fair few times, especially with the Hobbit movies. He went straight back there to film again um, and he definitely inspired a lot of other filmmakers to utilise that landscape too. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I guess the exercise in excess there, um, an example would be his work on King Kong which is another film I absolutely adore. But that movie goes for three hours and it's very... A lot of people say that because by the time they get to Skull Island in that movie, it's about an hour and a half into the movie. And I know as a younger kid watching it, you're just like, hurry up. But I guess when you're watching it as an adult, you just see like the stuff with Jack Black, Naomi Watts and Adrian Brody on the mainland. You really establish their characters. Jack Black's a director. He's, you know, starting out. He needs money. Um, Naomi Watts is a struggling actress. She can't afford food, and you just get the characters there. And I think he he does that very well. He's just establishing character. It's like early on in this film, the first hour, nothing of you know great um, excitement happens. A lot of it is just sitting down, talking, introducing characters. But it's very important to the story, and because the characters are so well written and so lovable, um, it just really does impact the story and and just I guess your appreciation for the franchise. So. I really love that. But I think that's all I really had to say. I think if I had to rate this film, um, I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. Just some little dated things that definitely don't hold up as well today. 
um, just with some of the filmmaking techniques. But I feel like that is a product of its time. Um, and, and in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter as much. But my critical mind just can't turn off when watching the film. So I guess that's where I, I sit. But nine and a half out of ten from me. That's pretty decent from you. I've seen some great movies that you've only given a six. So um, I'm going to go an eight just because I'm anticipating what's going to come. So I'm only going to give it an eight to see what else is going to be out there. Well, that wraps up the discussion portion of this review. So we've gone into pretty spoilerific details, covered all the main points. We haven't gone into a great deal of depth in certain points, but we've definitely discussed the main plot elements there. So Jess has some predictions for what's going to happen in the two towers. So Jess, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown of those predictions? Um, so my first one is that Gandalf is going to come back. One, because you've told me. And two, because he's on the front of the movie cover. Um, my second prediction would be that the Fellowship um, meets back up. I'm assuming they all come back together. Might be a little bit of turmoil to get them back together, but they will. Um, Frodo will probably get injured again because he's hopeless and like a sack of potatoes he'll be injured. Um, and I think they're going to get to Mordor in this one, but – It'll probably end there and then actually destroying the ring might be the rest of the movie. Um, my other one is I think Gollum is going to catch up to probably Frodo and Sam eventually um, and maybe because it's just the two of the hobbits, they won't be strong enough to keep the ring off Gollum. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I hope Legolas doesn't die because he's cool. So that's my one thing that I hope. Well, that'll be interesting to see how they play out. Um, yeah, the the Two Towers is... When the Two Towers came out, I mentioned this in our preview, it wasn't... People were worried that it wasn't going to be as good, um, but surprisingly, it holds up remarkably well. Um, I saw it five years ago. The, I saw Return of the King most recently, so I'm intrigued to watch The Two Towers again. Um, and yeah, we'll be back here next week discussing The Two Towers. So... Thank you all for listening. Make sure you send in any trivia questions or any questions you have regarding this review or any of our discussion um, and any points you want to share as well. I'll post on Facebook during the week and we'll get some comments rolling and, yeah, hopefully have um, a bit more to discuss in the two towers. But any parting words, Jess, for the Fellowship of the Ring? Frodo, grow up. Seriously, we're all over your, your turmoil. Um, I do hope you get better in the next movie. There you have it. Um, that will bring this review to a close. So thank you all for listening, guys. And until next time, peace out. Bye.